I want to talk about the most common question that you were asked as a child. And I know this because it's the same question we ask children more often than any other question probably. Um, parents does it, do it. Uh, teachers do it. Coaches do it. Friends, family, the, the whole deal. And it's this one right here. It's very, very common. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's interesting to me that we don't ask the question, who do you want to be? Isn't that? And I'm getting awful philosophical on you, psychological, real quick here. It, it's not who you want to be, it's what you want to be. Really, what we're asking, though, is what do you want to do when you grow up? We're asking occupation questions. Fireman, doctor, I want to architect, I want to build stuff, I want to blow up stuff, you know, I want to be a demolition guy or whatever, you know. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a, it's a harmless question, really. But, but what it does is it kind of typifies the fact that we grow up trying to figure out who to be, who to become, not just what to do, but who to be. Now, when you're in the elementary years, that's pretty clear, pretty simple. Uh, when you're in the elementary school years, it, it looks like copy-paste. You, you just see somebody and you say, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. I wanna, you want to look like your friends. You want to dress like your friends. You want to eat what your friends eat. You want to go where your friends go. You want to do what your friends do. It's copy-paste when you're in those really young years of childhood. When you become a teenager, though, it gets a little bit more complex. You carry some of that over into adolescence, but in the teenage years, you begin to try different things on for size, right? In sports, I'm going to try this sport. No, I don't like that. I'm going to try this sport. No, I don't like that at all. Matter of fact, I don't like sports, or maybe no, I don't want to play an instrument, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, you know? Different hobbies. I'll try this hobby. No, that's not me. I'll try that. Hey, this is what I really like. You know, you try those different things. In, in high school, even like you're finding your own personal style. I can remember watching our girls like, man, they're into this, then they're into that. And you're, you want to wear what? You want to wear that? Okay, that, you don't wear that. Well, I like this now. I'm like, oh, sorry. I just couldn't keep up with it all. I mean, like, like one day, the, the camo thing. I'm like, you're not even a hunter. <laughs> you don't even go to the woods. You're not in the military. I don't understand, right? It's just, and, and they kind of figure it out, right? A little bit along the way. By the way, can I just say this? This is free. You won't get charged any extra for this. Uh, but parents, listen very carefully. Or if you're a middle school or high school student, listen very carefully. Adolescence is the most topsy-turvy time of life. Things are changing so much physically, emotionally, uh, relationally. So much is changing. Adolescence is the worst time in your life to try to make lifetime declarations about your identity. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And you're going to figure all that out by the time you're 14. You're crazy. You don't, that's, you, 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 you'll change. That'll all change in about a half hour. Okay. So, so just be patient with yourself. Be patient with the, the teenagers, the adolescents in your life. You get to college, though, and the temperature dial gets turned up a little bit more in college. Uh, you know, you're kind of known for what? Your major. And people get grouped. First of all, if you don't have a major, <laughs> that puts you in a group. <laughs> all right. 
decide what you want to be, man. Okay. And then you, you got all the, you know, the, the education people over here. You got all the business people over here. You got all the, you know, the jocks, the sports medicine people and the sports management people. And you got them over there. And then you got all the medical people over here. And then you got, you know, the, the ones that are kind of like, you know, communications or liberal arts, or then you got the psychology freaks over here and you got all this kind of stuff, right? You're known by your major. You begin to question a lot of stuff, though, in your childhood and adolescence. And then, and then you launch out into adulthood. What? In adulthood, you got it all figured out, right? No. You're still wondering. You're still looking. You're still trying to figure out who to be. Who to be. Let me, let me make sure that we have a good working definition together. Let's define the word identity. The most basic, the most simple way I know to define identity is this right here. Identity is who you are. Simple enough? Identity is who you are. Your identity is who you are. Not what you do. That's part of it, but that's not really your identity. Your identity is who you are, not what you do. Not what you say, right? Because we say a lot of things depending on how old you are and how emotional you are and what your hormonal condition is, you know, or what's going on in your life. You can say lots of things. That's not your identity. Your identity is who you are. Not even what you want. Your identity is not what you want. Your identity is who you are. Your wants change. I, I think it would, it's very safe to say that in our culture we have a lot of identity confusion over who people are, over who we are. So much confusion. It's exhausting for Christians too, non-Christians too. This is not a, well, Christians got to figure it out, non-Christians own or church people, non-church people, or people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God. I don't care who you are, I don't care how close to God you are. Everybody's on the same playing field when it comes to this identity confusion thing because all people tend to struggle. Because we look to false things we look to the wrong things to establish and define and understand our identity. We look to the wrong things. I want to put a list of things up here that I call the not list that creates identity confusion. All right? And, and, and you might want to take a picture of this just so you can kind of reflect back on it later and go, yeah, yeah, that's one I really struggle with. But here's a list of things, and this is not an exhaustive list, even though it's a big list. There's a list of things that you don't look to to establish and understand identity. This is the not list. This does not make you who you are. This is interesting. This plays into things. For instance, your past. Your past does not determine your identity. Your circumstances don't. Social media, aren't we glad, does not determine our identity. But a lot of times we forget that, right? Okay, what you do does not determine your identity. How you look does not determine your true identity. How you feel does not determine your true identity. It's interesting, but it changes. So that's so important. Your parents do not determine your true identity. Well, dad said that I'm, well, mom always called me and you fill in the blank. No, 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 no. Your coach, you know, right? No, no, your teacher. All right, buckle up for this one. You ready? This is, here's a powder keg for our culture. Your sexuality or your gender does not determine your true ultimate identity. Just hang with me. Not your thoughts, what you think, 
right? I think this way. I keep thinking this way. I keep thinking this way. So that means I must be. And then you fill in the blank. No, 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 no. Not your job. Not your friends, right? They say, my friends say, my, my friends always, t- and they've told me for years, you ought to, or you always, or you just are this kind. No, no, not even your siblings. And aren't we glad <laughs> that our siblings don't determine our true identity, right? We'd all be in bad shape, okay? Your marriage, the quality of your marriage or whether or not you are married does not determine your true identity. Parents, listen up. Your kids do not determine your identity. Parents, this is huge, right? When you become a parent, it's just like, oh, now I'm just a mom, now I'm just a dad. Well, there's never just a anything to that. But the performance of your kids does not determine how good of a parent you have been because your kids have this thing, we'll come back to it in a little bit, called a free will. Oh my goodness, you know, and so what do parents say? What do mom, we hear mom say this all the time. Oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm a horrible mom. Right? And dads are a little bit different. They're going to think I'm an idiot. Right? Kind of thing. So no, 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 no. No, thankfully, your kids do not determine who you are. Not your peers, not culture, not pain. Well, I've had this pain in my life or I've experienced this pain, so this must mean I am and you fill in the blank. Nope, nope. Failure does not determine your identity. Your title how much money you have or do not have, accomplishments you have acquired or not do not determine your true identity. See, here's what you need to know. We have these things and we experience these things, but it does not mean we are these things. For instance, you have feelings, but you are not your feelings. You have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. You have a past, and you are not your past, though. You have circumstances, but your circumstances do not dictate and determine who you truly are. Listen carefully. You have sexuality, but your sexuality does not determine the depth of your identity. You are more than your sexuality. You have gender. But your gender does not fully express the depth of your ultimate identity. Hang with me. You have these things. You experience these things. But your identity is more than these things. Why is this so important? You don't, know, you don't want to know why this is important? And, and then we'll, we'll show you how we know these things are important. This is so important because we tend to live to the level of our identity whatever we attach our identity to. We live to the level of whatever we attach our identity to, whether it's a high level or a low level. So if you've been told you are this and you believe you are this, then you have a tendency to live to the level of whatever that is that you've you know, em- embraced. Well, I guess I'm just this because I've always been told I'm this and I've always just thought I was this. So you just, you're just gonna be this. That's why it's so important to not have a mistaken identity. Because if you have a mistaken identity, you will end up living a misguided life. A mistaken identity leads to a misguided life and life is too important and way too short to not get this clear. I wanna share with you the two foundations by which our true identity, so if this not list is not it, what What about our true identity? I want to share with you two foundations that establish our ultimate and true identity. 
The first foundation is true for everybody. True for everybody. The second is a little bit deeper dimension that's true, can be true for anybody, but is only true and ultimately experienced by a certain number of you. But let's start with the one that gets us all playing on the playing field. Foundations where true identity is established. Not these things, but it begins, first of all, from your creator, your true identity, your ultimate identity for who you are regardless of what you've been told, starts from your creator because you were created as an image of God. What does that mean? If you've been in church for some time, you've probably heard that phrase. If you've, if you, if you, even if you're not a Christian and you have Christian friends, you, you may have heard them say or, or listen to a song that has this kind of stuff in it. You know, you're like, what does it mean? I hear people saying that. What does it mean to be an image of God? Or maybe you have no clue. Well, this phrase comes from the early writings in the Old Testament Hebrew scripture as the account of God creating humanity is described. And we find these words in Genesis. So God created mankind in his own image. There it is. In the, here it is again, image of God, he created them. Look at this, male and female, distinct. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, what does it mean to be created in the image of God. Because that's where your identity begins. Your true identity begins as you have a created image bearer of God. You bear the image of God in your own life. It means we are like God. It means you are like God. You have God-like qualities. You are like God. You are not equal to God. These God-like qualities that you and I possess, we don't possess them to the level that God possesses them and to the perfection that he experiences them, yet we are like him in, let me give you three examples, intellect, emotion, and will. Intellect, emotion, and free will. You and I have intellect, emotion, and free will because God has intellect, emotion, and free will. God is an intellectual being, the God of the universe, and he created us with intellect. Serious. Whether or not we display much of it, we have intellect. And we have emotion. God has emotion. God gets happy. God gets sad. God gets angry, God is glad. I mean, God has emotion. We have emotion. A cat does not have emotion. <laughs> oh yeah, they're purring. No, no, they're mulling over how to kill you in your sleep. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. They don't have emotion, right? And I know you animal lovers, and I love animals too, and all God's creatures, ah, you know, you, Peter, you know, whatever, it's fine. You're fine, fine, fine. We can agree to disagree on that, but here's the thing that, that we have to agree on. You have emotion, and the reason you have emotion is because God has emotion. And God has free will. God can do what he wants. You have free will. You can choose what you want. You can choose right, you can choose wrong, you can choose good, you can choose evil. You have free will because you were created in the image of God. Get that. You are an image bearer of the almighty creator of heaven and earth. You 
bear the image of the almighty God, of cre the creator of heaven and earth. That is where your identity is formed. Doesn't matter how you feel, what you think, what you look like, where you've been, what other people have told you, you are an image bearer of God. And here's the kicker. So is everybody else. Everybody you've ever laid eyes on is an image bearer of God equal to you. They are equally an image of God just like you are an image of God. Created in the image of God. Everyone you've ever known and everyone you've never known. Everyone you've ever seen and even the people that who are complete strangers and you've never seen them. Everyone you like is an image bearer of God. And Christians, listen up. Everyone you don't like, also an image bearer of God, right? We wish we had time to talk about this. I mean, doesn't, shouldn't this determine how we treat each other then as fellow image bearers of the almighty creator of heaven and earth? Oh, I think it should. Everybody who believes like you, votes like you, lives like you is an image bearer of God. But everyone who doesn't believe like you, doesn't vote like you, and doesn't live like you live is an equal still image bearer of God. That's what makes us all special. We're image bearers of God. So I guess if we're all special, I guess none of us are special. <laughs> See, I'm a pastor and I can't go around telling people they're not special. Right? You're not special. You're not special. You know, it's just ruin a children's ministry right there. Right? No, <laughs> not you. Not <laughs> right. No, we're all special. I, I began to think that as a kid. Wait a second. His parents are telling him he's special. How can he be special and me special? One of us can't be all that special, right? No, the thing is, yes, we're all special. Here's the deal. We're all unique. We're all unique, and that's what makes us the individuality. But what makes us special is we're all created in the image of God. But there's a second foundation. There's a, a deeper level. Let me, let me put it like this. There's a, a newer dimension, a deeper dimension of identity that you begin to discover, that you begin to uncover, and you begin to clue into, not just when you realize that you are an image bearer of God, that you've been created by God because all of us are God's creation. But there is a, a newer dimension, a deeper dimension, a further dimension of identity where you become not just a creation of God, but you become a child of God. It's, it's, those, those get confused all the time. I hear people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. What makes you a child of God has everything to do with something that comes from Christ our savior. When you begin to embrace Jesus as your savior and follow him as your savior and forgiver and Lord, that's when you begin to clue into a deeper dimension of identity that, that Christians, followers of Jesus, Christ followers experience. Now this is only for Christ followers, but anyone who's not a Christ follower, as soon as you begin embracing Jesus as your savior and forgiver and you begin following him, you can begin to clue in and uncover and discover this deeper dimension of identity that takes you from being a creation of God and actually you become a child of God, a part of the family of God through faith and trust in Jesus 
Christ and what he has done for you and me. Let me show you what this looks like. Paul, the apostle in the first century, wanted to help Christians in the first century who were the new Christians, right? I mean, they were new. There were no Christians before these Christians. And so they're, they're kind of new. Everything is new to them. And he's trying to help them establish their identity as followers of Jesus and helping them understand how to put it all together so they can live from this identity. And this is what he tells a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new person. Wow, how's that? That's an identity shift, right? I'm a new person. This is what it means. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. New life has begun. What this literally means is a whole new way of living has opened up. A whole new way of understanding the world has opened up. This This is called the new creation. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself, look here, this is how it's possible, through Christ, through Jesus. I'm a new person. When I begin to trust Jesus as my savior and and, and learn what it means to follow him, I become a new person from the inside out. God recreates my heart, my soul. There's a part of the scriptures that talk about, God says, I will change their heart. I will begin to form a new heart within them. Now, he's not talking about your blood pumping muscle, okay? That's his way, the imagery analogy of talking about who they really are on the inside, the heart and soul of them. I will create within them a new identity connected to me through Jesus. To another group of Christians in the first century, Paul says it like this, for we, followers of Jesus, are God's masterpiece. Even when you feel like a mess, even when you look like a mess, even when everybody else tells you you're a mess, we are God's masterpiece. How is that possible? Well, he has created us, here it is again, anew in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, it's a supernatural thing. I can't put my thumb on it. I can't put my finger on it. I I can't fully describe it to you. It's just one of those things you just have to experience on your own. It's like one of those things you just have to be there. You just have to experience it on your own because it's a supernatural thing. When God begins to create within you a whole new identity, you become in Christ. Actually, next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live knowing you are in in Christ and the difference that makes in understanding your identity. You see, a lot of times we just look at our story and we, and we determine our identity based upon our story. We determine identity and, and we assume identity based upon what we've done and what's happened to us, what we've done and what's been done to us. No, see, because of Christ, yeah, you have a story, but you also have a savior. And your story is just what happened to you. Your Savior determines who you are. Again, your story, well, that's just what happened to you. Your Savior, that's who determines who you truly are. Your connection to God through Jesus. Your true identity as a follower of Jesus is not determined by what you've done or what's been done to you. As a follower of Jesus, true identity is all about what God has done through Jesus. For you and me. 
me show you what this begins to look like. As you begin to understand I am a creation of God, but I am also a new creation, I am a child of God through Jesus, as you begin to understand and build your life on those two foundations of identity, here's what you begin to experience, and here's what Christians you should be experiencing, and if you're not a Christian, here's what you will begin to experience as you draw closer to Jesus and begin to put your trust in him and follow him. This is what this new identity through Christ means that you are unconditionally loved. Do you know why we have so much identity confusion? Do you, do you know why we're looking here and looking there and looking at them and listening to voices and saying, I must be, or looking to our feelings or our thought or to culture or to whatever? We're looking at the not list. Do you know why the not list has confused us? It's because we don't know. We haven't realized yet that we are unconditionally loved as is right now without condition. You are unconditionally loved as is right now without condition, which means there's nothing you can do, be, or become. There's nothing you've done in the past that you're doing right now or will do in the future that can ever make God love you less than he does. And there's nothing you can do right now or in the future to ever make God love you more than he does. You are unconditionally, completely loved without condition. And do you know why you and I have a hard time understanding that? Because everything in our world has conditions. Everything we know has conditions. Everything has conditions. And so when we hear love without condition unconditionally, no matter what. Because I grew up thinking, I mean, if I did this, they would love me more. But if I did this, they would love me less. In fact, they said they could love me more if I would do this or stop doing this. And so I just always assumed that God was the same way. No, 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 no. When you begin to understand that you are a creation of God created, you are an image bearer of the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And that through Christ, you have been created anew. You're a new person. A whole new world, a whole new reality opens up. Then you begin to experience what it means that, yes, I am unconditionally loved by God through Jesus unconditionally. And so regardless of how other people treat you, regardless of how what life does to you, regardless of what other people say to you, regardless of what you do or don't do, your identity is founded in unconditional love. And if you knew you were unconditionally loved, and as soon as you embrace the fact that you are unconditionally loved, everything on the not list begins to fade away. Not only are you unconditionally loved, you are completely and fully valued. As is, right now, you are fully valued. It means there's nothing you can bring to the table to make you more valuable. <laughs> and, and there's nothing you can bring to the table that decreases your value, not your performance or lack thereof. 
Again, why is this so hard for us? Because it goes against everything we know as humans on, on, on the planet, right? Your value in, in our world is typically determined by what kind of value you bring. And um, if you do things to add value, you become more valuable. Or if you don't add value, you become less valuable. Value is like a moving target in our world, right? Things that once had value no longer had value. People that once had a valued opinion, now we no longer look to them for their opinions, no longer is value. And now all of a sudden overnight because of a social media post or whatever, now we highly value this opinion, which two, two months ago we didn't even know this person existed. Right? Do, do you see how value in our culture is just all over the map based upon what you do, what you do lately, and your performance, and how well you do it, and what kind of platform you have? But in God, through Christ, you are fully valued. Your voice is fully valued. Your thoughts are fully valued. What you think, what you feel, your deepest desires are fully valued. Fully valued because of Jesus. Imagine, imagine. What would it be like if you really knew I have complete value, regardless of what I've been told, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I think? But see, that's an identity changer right there. As a matter of fact, the better way to say it is, that's an identity uncoverer. It uncovers your true identity in Christ with God. One more, this is huge. When you begin to let Jesus create that new person within you, you begin to discover not just you are unconditionally loved and that you are fully valued, but that you have a divine purpose. A divine purpose. Now, this gets overused all the time. You know, God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. And those are true statements, but they're used so often, it becomes white noise. And people are just heard them so much, they've kind of lost their oomph. They've lost their meaning. So let me unpack this a second. You have a divine purpose. Every day of your life, you have a divine purpose. And here's why I, mean, why I say every day. Because when most people, especially Christians, see this phrase, divine purpose, they think, God has a special reason he put me on this planet. I have a special assignment. It's like a treasure map. I got to figure it out. And I got to search it out. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss my divine purpose. And you hear people say it all the time. I'm trying to find my purpose in life. I'm, what they're saying is I'm trying to find my unique assignment. That God has put me on this planet. And if I miss it, oh, I miss it. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying that God doesn't have unique things he wants us to do. I'm not saying God doesn't have a treasure map like unique thing he wants you to do, he wants you to figure out. I'm, I'm not going to say that. I have my doubts how often that happens, but I'm, I'm not going to get in that argument with you. Here's what I mean. Every day of your life, you have a divine purpose. Every day of your life, there is a divine purpose for you to live out. In your current situation, because we always think, oh, no, no, I got a divine purpose and this can't be it. Oh, no, this is a part of it. Every day, in every situation, in your current predicament, you have divine purpose in this current predicament. With your current job, you have a divine purpose in your current job. Because I know what you're thinking. I have a divine purpose and I got to get rid of this loser job so I can live out my divine purpose. Your divine purpose is connected to your loser job. You say, well, I don't have a job. I've been unemployed. I need to find my purpose. I don't know what God has next for you employment, but I can promise you your divine purpose has everything to do with the fact that you are unemployed right now. God doesn't waste days. God doesn't waste stuff on you. 
Every day is an investment into the divine purpose he has for you. Right where you are today in this predicament, and get this, you ready for this? With the people that are in your life right now. Well, I have a divine purpose, but it can't be with these blokes. I need some new people. I need a new man. I need a new woman. I need some new kids. I need a new family. I need new coworkers. I need... A new- a new nation, I'm out of here. You know, whatever, I don't, I don't know what your deal is, but your divine purpose is connected to the people in your life and the predicament in your life and the problems that are in your life right now. You look at your problems as getting in the way of you fulfilling, oh, listen to me. Don't look at your problems as something that's getting in the way for you fulfilling your divine purpose. The problems in your life right now are a part of what God wants to achieve in your life and your divine purpose. He's not going to waste a problem on you. Come on. We're unconditionally loved. We're fully valued. And we have a divine purpose every single day. Christians, don't forget this. And if you're not a Christian, this is what you're missing. This is what you're missing. Go back to the not list. No wonder we're confused. This is exhausting. A lot of these things you can't control. A lot of these things change all the time. Some of them don't, but a lot of them are in constant flux. Are you kidding me? No wonder we're confused. Let's come back to the next slide. Imagine living like this instead. You can It's as simple as you taking it, receiving it. Receive what is true about you. This is true about you. Receive what is true about you. And let me give you a prayer to pray that has been tremendously helpful for me. The more I pray this prayer, and not just say the words, but meditate and think about what it means and really open up my mind to consider the answer. It helps me with this identity thing. I think it'll help you too. We're going to go a lot of different places in the next two to three weeks as we talk about the nuances of identity. But here's the deal. If we began here and kept coming back to this, it would help us so much. It would help you so much. Here's a prayer to pray. Real simple. God, help me see me the way you see me. God, Help me see me the way you see me. You created me in your image. You know me better than I know myself. You know about me what I've yet to discover about me. So God, help me see me the way you see me. I mean, when you have those feelings of worthlessness, of valuelessness, of purposelessness, when you have those feelings, you come back to this and say, God, I don't feel so hot today. So help me see me the way you see me. When you have those thoughts, you know those thoughts? You're nothing. Nobody cares about you. They don't give a rip about your opinion. You'd be better off gone. Come back to this. God, help me see me the way you see me. When those voices that you live with talk about, why did you do this? You always and you never. And what's wrong with you? Why can't you get this right? You come back to this. God, help me see me the way you see me. Help me see me the way you see me. When you're staring failure in the face and yet again you've disappointed yourself and other people, 
you come back to this. God, help me see me the way you see me. And when you're confused and you don't know, you don't know, you look in the mirror and you're going, I have no clue who I am or what I'm supposed to do. Come back to this. Start here. Come back to this. God, help me see me the way you see me. Unconditionally loved, fully valued, divine purpose. I invite you to pray that with me in the next few moments. Father, help me see me the way you see me. Not not just as a pastor, not just as a husband, not just as a dad, but I am an image bearer of the Father. I, through Jesus, I'm a child of the heavenly family. I'm a child of God. You you love me and you like me. I am unconditionally loved. I am fully valued. And I have a divine purpose every day with every problem in every situation with the very people that are in my life right now. I have a divine purpose. God, I got to come back to that. Help me to see me the way you see me. And not just me, God, help every single person here, every single person watching online, every person at all of our locations, help us all to see ourselves the way you do, the way you do, the way you do. And form in us a true identity. Help us to see it and embrace it through Jesus. Amen.